From Bureaucracy's Basement to your ears, this is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau meet to file reports, make recommendations, and survive on water that drips from the boiler pipe in the back room into our open mouths as we sleep on a bed of dot matrix printer paper. One day, maybe, we'll escape from the subterranean hell that is this basement, but until that day, this city is not going to improve itself. This meeting is now in session. Happy social distancing. Happy social distancing. I just gotta, I gotta go get the bells. Hold on. I can't find our social distancing holiday gear. Uh, I would, I would help you find them, but that would ruin the whole point of social distancing. This is true. I guess we'll just have to celebrate without our usual accoutrements. Yep. Were you perhaps building like some kind of like crazy contraption with our with our holiday gear? Yeah, usually. Yeah, why? I, I'm just curious because I just feel that having mentioned the holiday gear, there should be some kind of payoff in the form of a crazy contraption that can be either sort of explained on this meeting or a subsequent meeting. Sure. Um, yeah, that, that would work. Uh, I'll just recommend you... Uh, don't sit one meter to your right. Okay. Well, right now I will sit one meter to my left. Okay. That's, that's uncomfortable. I'll, I'm going to assume my original position. One meter to my left is the moat. So, yep. you know, and it's full of like unknown dung. So, okay. okay. Don't All move. Right, so, Just okay. where you are is good. Don't. Good. Okay. I will, I will stay very still. Um, in the meantime, should, uh, should we take attendance? Yes, let's. Okay. Uh, first attendee this evening is um, Deep Lunch AE. Uh, no, I, I, Deep, I don't think so. Deep Lunch AE. Deep, yeah. Um, I, I know it doesn't sound like the name of a person, but it's actually because it's a code name. It's code name for a uh, Canadian CSIS agent uh, in the 90s who, in the wake of uh, the dissolution of the Soviet Union, found that he had no nowhere to spy. So he, uh, he wandered into a nearby high school and got hired in the cafeteria there. Uh, so from 92 to 97, Deep Lunch kept obsessive track of the students' dietary habits and the, uh, and the other habits of the other staff. Uh, eventually, he settled, though, on the habits of a student named Donnie Bizanson, whom he claimed was a possible threat to local and even national security, um, but also was always taking the last chocolate donut in the case by the till, possibly just to annoy me. Quote. Uh, eventually, his reports um, turned into a series of incoherent screeds against Bazanson, alleging that he was puncturing the tires on Deep Lunch's Firefly in the parking lot, um, making disrespectful gestures towards him, and buying several donuts at once with the express purpose of reselling them to the elementary school students down the, down the road. Uh, in 98, Deep Lunch AE removed the donut display case altogether, told Donnie Bazanson in front of everyone that he was a little donut-snarfing punk and ran out of the school. Uh, Deep Lunch was never seen again. <laughs> That's um, the leopard back there. But he's supposed to be here tonight? This is a hope. I mean, uh, you know, we've, we've put out the, uh, I put out the secret signal on, on top of the building. Um, the, in the, it looks like a, like a chocolate donut searchlight in the sky kind of a, a deep lunch signal so i thought he would see it and uh, make his way down here 
Oh, okay. Um, I think I know what happened. Oh, uh, what happened? I, uh, I kind of sort of unplugged the secret signal. Uh, when I saw the agenda, I saw Deep Lunch AE. And so I thought, obviously, that tonight we were going to be discussing Deep Lunch After Earth, which is, oh. you know, when the Earth ends, the, the lunch you have after the right. Earth. earth. Because it'd be a deep one. Like right. a deep I, meditative lunch. Ah, oh, I think that scene was actually cut from the movie After Earth with Will Smith and uh, and his son Jaden. Yeah. So yeah, it was okay. So that's but yeah. I saw that and I figured, oh well, then I don't know why Aiden has the uh, the signal turned on. Clearly, don't right. that to discuss, you know, a deep lunch After Earth. So I just unplugged it because I thought it was a mistake. So I'm sorry. I, that's okay. And you know, you know, now that I now that I look more carefully at uh, at the name. I think I actually might have just mixed up some letters and uh, probably did not need to turn on the, uh, the donut, the chocolate donut signal, which we have for inexplicable reasons. Um, hold on a sec here. Uh, I think it spells Paul Deschen. Oh, okay. That's, that's me then. Oh, okay. Cool. All right then. Um, Paul Deschen, you're good. here. Good. Well, this means um, I deep, grew up deep by signal. I feel good about that. No, that's, yeah, you did. Yeah, I think you, I mean, imagine how weird it would be if Deep Lunch AE actually showed up. Yeah. We'd have to say, sorry, mistake. You'd accuse us of being just like Donnie Bazanson, and that would be the last yeah. we'd see of him. Okay, our second second attendee this evening is um, Ian Rand Moga. Nope. Ian Rand Moga. Nope. A, uh, a radical libertarian shoe salesman. Uh, who believed that different foot sizes were an infringement on his uh, personal rights. Uh, what, what had happened, you see, he had, um, he had actually, he had taken pretty much his entire fortune. He'd run into a dire times in the 2008 recession and spent his entire fortune on getting a massive shipment of shoes, which turned out were all um, size 11s, and they're all like left, just left foots, they were in pairs. Um, so he attempted to return them, but unsurprisingly the manufacturer gone out of business possibly because he only made size 11 left shoes so he decided to try and sell them um and he launched a series of court cases in the states contending that other shoe sizes were infringing on his practices and were therefore unconstitutional uh, he only he's very sensible uh, he he drove himself even further into bankruptcy he won a limited victory only to discover that a rival businessman had actually used the same trick. And that's why you can only buy um, square-toed ankle boots with zippers on the sides now because oh. nothing else is, is, is legally available for sale. You're right, right. right. Except for black market Birkenstocks. Except for black market Birkenstocks. Um, Moga, though, he, uh, he recovered and recently he tried the same trick in the music industry um, we tried to argue that, uh, or make all other CDs other than Limp Biscuits, Chocolate Starfish, and the Hot Dog Flavored Water illegal, but fortunately that has not worked. Good, good. Although it is the only CD I own by sheer coincidence. <laughs> so anyway, looking forward to talking to him this evening, seeing what he brings to the table. He a very particular. No, I think maybe he decided that being here was also an infringement on his on his rights. So. Decided maybe he doesn't like basements. Maybe he thinks hmm. like that building should just be planted directly on the ground and basements are an unnecessary support. They, or maybe they are kind of 
shoes for buildings. That's true. Yeah, like they're like with like hollow heels. <laughs> the basements, the hollow heeled shoes of buildings. Uh, at any rate, um, I think the other possibility, and uh, and I doubt this is the case, but I'm just going to throw this out there, just as a hypothesis, is that I've actually uh, mixed up the letters in the name of the guest, and it might be somebody else, entirely different. Oh yeah, yeah. You might want to check that. Yeah, well, I just, I mean, it's ridiculous that that would be the case. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I did, I did it with you. So, what, what are the odds that I do it twice? Practically zero. Practically zero. Ian ran Mogas. Oh, you know what? Uh, I did it. Oh no. Yeah, it should be uh, Aiden Morgan. That's you. Oh, great. That's me. Okay, we're both here. Uh, I feel I feel better being an attendee at the meeting where I'm reading the attendance, Frank. I'm glad you are too, because it would be a little awkward for me if you weren't. Exactly. All right. Um, there we go. So let's uh, now that we have attendance underway, do we have quorum? We do not. We do not. So nothing we do matters, but we're gonna do it anyway. Mm-hmm. That's our philosophy. All right. So what's on the agenda today? Uh, well, there was another monster city council meeting on August 26th, so huge that uh, they had to call the meeting off at about uh, supper time and continue the meeting on uh, August 31st. So it spilled over two nights, two nights of council. So it sounds like kind of a crazy kaiju of a meeting. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, We're only going to focus on uh, the first night of the meeting. Um, I can, uh, cause I have not actually watched the video. I did not, I didn't attend the second meeting but it kind of caught me by surprise. Uh, I do know that what it was, what was considered the second meeting, which we can talk about just briefly. I'm not an expert on how things went in the debate, but, uh, there was a mask bylaw was considered, uh, not an actual bylaw, but a report about whether or not to do a mask bylaw and if so, how. Uh, and that would be like a bylaw requiring people to wear masks in public places, although none of the details were mm-hmm. worked out on that. That motion had been signed uh, by everybody on council, but it has been tabled. Council then backed down after bringing it forward to council. They backed down and opted to not go ahead with getting a report about whether or not it's a good idea. By motion, they instead tabled it and have just left it in administration's hands to bring back when it is perhaps more uh, relevant. Uh, the discussion basically trended towards, we only have, I think at that time we had five cases in Regina. Uh, we're down today as of recording this, one active COVID case in the city. Uh, council felt that it was premature um, to implement a prof- prophylactic measure that would prevent uh, the increase of uh, cases, much better to institute something like that after cases are just completely off the hook. Exactly. Well, prevention, you know what they say, prevention is only good after the thing has already happened and you're scrambling to uh, repair the damage that's been done. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Um, I believe the report will be called something like uh, shutting the mask barn door after the COVID uh, horses have escaped. Right. I bet you there's a great acronym there. Um, yeah. Now, the, was the coronavirus itself notified that they're tabling the mask bylaws so it can wait to infect people? I do believe that there is a COVID notice period that was announced. Um, although whether or not the, the virus will actually see it is a question because I believe it'll just be a sign posted uh, oh. 
yeah, in uh, some public place. Okay. Well, hopefully, hopefully we can get the word out and maybe, uh, maybe just like when we're walking around outside, um, we'll pass by people, just say COVID-19, there's no mask bylaw yet. You, you slow your roll. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you see a sign, just cough on it. Right. Exactly. And then the coronaviruses will read it and go, oh, whoops. Yeah. Whoopsie, they'll say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, It was a split vote and uh, the motion, uh, uh, the motion failed. Um, But yeah, as I say, I didn't watch the entirety of the uh, the debate. I'm going off of uh, media reports about how that turned out. Um, but yeah, that was part two. That was the second meeting on September, th- sorry, August 31st. Oh, hey, um, guess what? What? Well, you're listening to 91.3 FM CGATR, Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. And we are the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Right you are, Aiden. Mm-hmm, right um, I am, yes. Uh, the, the actual meeting itself, uh, the, the first meeting, the meeting on uh, August 26th, there was still tons of stuff was covered. Uh, I thought we would cover, first off, I thought I wanted to talk about something that we discussed at our last meeting, which is 56 Angus, the Bagshaw residence. Ooh, the Bagshaw. Yeah, now this is a house in uh, the Crescent's neighborhood of Cathedral, and it was on the, uh, the heritage list. So under the rules of the heritage list, if a house is on the heritage list, if the owner decides they want to tear it down, uh, they have to, they get that order can't be issued or allowed for 60 or 90 days. I can't remember which, because I flipped those numbers up, sixes and nines up and down in my head. Uh, it's one or the other. And uh, during that time, that waiting period, that uh, fallow period, council gets a chance to examine the house uh, and see if they consider it heritage worthy and if they will deny the application to demolish and will instead uh, impose a municipal heritage designation upon it, uh, presumably against the wishes of the property owner. Yeah. This has only happened in my time covering council over, so that's over 12 years now. That's only happened once before. And that was with a, uh, a house on uh, Albert street South, and that was just within the last year. So uh, the <laughs> Bagshaw residents came to council in the wake of that decision to impose against the wishes of the owner a heritage designation on a house the council decided was a heritage-worthy property. Uh, and Regina Planning Commission had actually voted to take the building off the heritage list. So going into council, it looked very much like the Bagshaw residence was done for. Uh, but, spoiler, uh, it was not. Council decided <laughs> to impose uh, the heritage designation upon it, uh, so they reversed the decision of uh, Regina Planning Commission. Uh, the first segment that I'd like to play, I have like some audio of Councillor Young. She is currently the chair of the Planning Commission. Uh, she was one of the councillors who voted in favour of taking the House off the list, but I thought what I'd play for you now is... Uh, two and a half minutes of Councillor Young explaining why it is that she, uh, she thinks the council should ignore the Planning Commission recommendation. So I, I'd like to speak to this now, Your Worship. Go ahead. 
I will be voting against this motion for the following reasons. Planning Commission's regular meeting to deal with this motion had technical difficulties and was canceled. The second meeting was held with four members unable to attend, two who have architectural background and heritage experience. Since then, I've heard from several members of Planning Commission who have concerns about the outcome and uncertainty that arose with the difference between the experts in heritage and the evaluation provided. No discussion of the new approach to this evaluation inventory was held with Planning Commission before this inventory came forward. This was the first time we had seen it used as evaluation on the property. Secondly, the Planning Commission members were in a difficult place of declaring a house ready for demolition when it existed in a neighborhood with historical and architectural precedents in Regina and without any infill guidelines for building in a neighborhood that can qualify as a heritage conservation district. There was an undertaking brought forward to administration and planning commission to come back with a plan to address infill guidelines for heritage neighborhoods. Number three, the current inventory criteria has only two moderate evaluations. To qualify for heritage designation, there must be four moderates or one high evaluation. The speakers today introduced new historical information that could raise um, criteria uh, to high in number two and number six on the, on the evaluation form. The issues raised by the specialists in two letters that are attached to this report, one from an architect who suggested to us that criteria three could rise to at least the moderate level and oppose the low rating in the evaluation, and the letter from the Provincial Heritage Ministry and the architect's letters both spoke to the importance of the neighborhood from a conservation perspective. And so uh, for these reasons, I'm voting against this motion. I encourage council to consider the strong case for designation made today and vote against this motion. Thank you, Your Worship. Uh, that was Councillor Young <laughs> explaining her rationale for why uh, the Bagshaw residence uh, should be preserved and why the decision of her committee, the Planning Commission, should be reversed. Basically, new information came up. Right. So some commissioners weren't able to make the meeting. Uh, the uh, We talked about this at the last meeting, so this wasn't actually new information, although it was like implied that it was in that in that clip. Uh, the, the province had indicated their concern that tearing down these buildings, uh, you know, doing this in a one-off fashion where you just look at the building itself and its heritage value without concern for the wider uh, heritage scape of a neighborhood is a problem with our current, uh, our current system of deciding what's heritage and what isn't. Um, that was a really strong argument for council that uh, Crescent has already lost a bunch of nice buildings and the infill that's been going up in its place is kind of been crap. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was, I think, the strongest, uh, strongest argument. I don't know, how much time do we have? Uh, well, let me check. I think we're, we are, we're about uh, 21 and a half minutes into our, into our meeting. Okay, so we've got just enough time to listen to some of... Uh, I think the other reason that this uh, didn't get taken off the list, uh, the, the, the decision to tear it down was reversed, was uh, Crawford Homes people who own the building want to tear it down did not acquit themselves as well as some other delegations have in the past. Uh, and they kind of cracked there. There were cracks in their argument for demolition that started to appear under uh, interrogation from the Hawk. So I will play uh, some of his, his delving into their, uh, 
into their rationale from that meeting. Well, thank you, Your Worship. Um, the current owner is Crawford Home. I'd like to ask, the current owner is Crawford Home, is that correct? That's correct. And Crawford Homes purchased this after the home had been in the market for how long? Uh, the, home, the home never hit the market. Uh, it, it involved somebody in a senior, a resident. Uh, one of our people was approached to market the home. Uh, the daughter and son-in-law live in Saskatoon, and they're kind of desperate to get out of it. And uh, So, you know, I was approached by, I, I met the people here. They were going to put it on, on the market, and, and then they said, why don't you guys just buy it? Thinking, yeah, we could do that. And just get it to help out the people that owned it at the time. They had perceived it as a teardown, so that's why they had actually included us. The woman that had been living there, she was a, a widow with some failing with some health concerns. And like I said, if anybody had been able to go through the home, you would have been shocked to see that she had actually been living in that residence for a number of years by herself. So, uh, for your worship, as far as you know, then, uh, your offer was the only offer entertained before this home uh, was sold? As far as I know, yes. Did you ever have any kind of, uh, how much did you pay for the home? Uh, I don't recall, just offhand, I think it was around 195000 So you essentially bought the lot, is that correct? Correct. Correct. Uh, did you ever have a professional uh, uh, engineering evaluation or other evaluation done of the interior? Uh, when you mentioned the structural defects that you're citing? No, we didn't have it. We, we had a few people look at it, but, but nobody, you know, we just, nobody with a professional degree or anything. Uh, so no evidence was presented to the Planning Commission or the City. Uh, professional evidence was presented to the Planning Commission of the City uh, on the uh, interior of the home. Is that it? Not that I know of. We invited the uh, people that were doing the statement of significance to go inside. Uh, they turned us down, so... This is the city uh, administration people, is that correct? The city planner, yeah. And uh, in the home building business, uh, do you agree that things like mold, uh, asbestos, crack foundation, all of these things can be repaired and frequently are repaired in older homes? Uh, is that correct? I've heard of that. We're not in renovations, but it is repairable. When you get too many... Factors like if it's just mold, you deal with one factor. When you have, you know, there's just this, you know, the basement height. It's, it's, it's not usable at all. And nor has anyone ever used it outside of storing a few shovels in there. They're still there. Uh, the walls are not insulated, etc. So it has to be a, an issue to heat that property. Uh, How is the home heated? Built-in, built-in obsolescence in the home. How is the home heated? It, it had a boiler system. As far as you know, is it still working? I I wouldn't imagine because it's been frozen up. Uh, and you know that? Did you try it? Did you tested it? No, no. The gas has been off. Those are my questions. Thank you. Uh, thank you to the delegation and to you, Your Worship. So yeah, uh, they didn't yeah. have anybody in. They didn't have a professional in to check it. They bought a house on the heritage list, explicitly planning to tear it down without doing that. And, right. Um, they didn't come prepared with an estimate. You know, with, typically what happens is you come with an estimate of a crazy cost to renovate the house and then council chickens out because they hear million dollars to <laughs> renovate the house. <laughs> Crawford didn't even do that. Um, Ouch. So, yeah, it was that's not how you prepare for a council meeting, especially if you're showing up after they've already put one house on the heritage designation list. Um, 
yeah, they should have done a little bit more research. I had one last thing that I wanted to talk about, though. Uh, Crawford Holmes said that uh, their plan was to tear it down from the beginning. And can I just say, $190,000 for a house in the Crescents? Holy crap. That's a pretty good price, i got to say. That is extraordinary. Crawford was, bought the house claiming that they were going to tear it down, put something up nice. They are going to put up something that... Uh, fits the neighborhood. So I took some time to go take a look at the uh, the Crawford Homes uh, website and at the floor plans of the houses that they build typically. I thought I would share my screen with you for a second so you can take a look at uh, some of the houses that uh, Crawford Homes... Oh, for, give me a break. <laughs> so, is, there okay, anything, well. is there anything on these that sticks out at you, Aiden? Um, the bloated bulging garage and the uh, any sort of substandard looking sort of sub stucco exteriors is that is that which are these the things yeah. you're referring to yeah 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 uh they build snout houses so houses with yeah, yeah. gigantic freaking garages that stick out the front right. and um yeah and they're just boring generic uh houses. i mean these, these are these are not um, sort of cathedral area crescents, uh, typical houses. Yeah. So uh, I don't think that uh, this was not raised during the meeting, but uh, Crawford did not seem the, the developer to be trusted with a uh, property in the crescents neighborhood. A good thing that came out of this is that uh, Councillor Young, uh, when this house was this house has now been, this motion has been passed, give it heritage designation, which would mean that it would have to be maintained, brought up to a condition, uh, you know, an acceptable condition. She also added a rider in there that she wants to report about um, imposing a heritage district designation to the Crescents so that there would be architectural guidelines on any infill development that goes in there. And uh, there would be a little bit more scrutiny over any uh, house demolitions in the Crescents. And the report would uh, anticipate other neighborhoods where this uh, a heritage overlay should be in, in place so that uh, the streetscapes will not be uh, torn apart slowly over time. And if a developer like Crawford comes in, they won't be able to replace a house like the Bagshaw residence, which is you know a nice craftsman style home with one of their snout houses. Well, uh, we should uh, we should move on to the uh, pre-recorded uh, innovative revenue tools. Okay. Okay. And we'll hear some of those. The Queen City Improvement Bureau would like to acknowledge the Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District for their support of our show. The Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District. Improving the district where there are warehouses in Regina. Okay, we're back from uh, the pre-recorded Innovative Revenue Tools. Do, do we have an Innovative Revenue Tool of our own, though? Uh, yes, yes, we do. Uh, I've, I've thought long and hard about this one. And I think I've, I've hit on a tool that will allow us to generate hitherto undreamt of amounts of revenue. Really? Yes. I, I can dream a lot of revenue. Uh, no, you, you can't dream this much revenue. I can, At least I can, not for... I can dream tens of dollars, twelves of dollars, oh. Baker's, Baker's okay. dozen dollars. Okay, I didn't, I didn't realize... I, sorry, I didn't realize you were dreaming that big. But suffice it to say, you will still be impressed. And, and the good thing about this one is the almost complete lack of effort it requires. 
Ooh. It's almost like we'd be getting something for nothing. Allow me to explain. Okay. So when you, put, when, you, when you put a property on the heritage list, you have to, you know, and you want to sort of, you want to tear down the property or make substantial changes. You need to apply to the city. Mm-hmm. What if, and let's think about this. What if we put money on the heritage list and every time someone wanted to spend money, they had to apply to the city to do it. I like this. Okay. And so, I mean, right now you're thinking, okay, they have to apply, but how do we, how does this lead to more revenue for, for the city? Well, we make the process extremely taxing and annoying and difficult so that when you apply, the, the applicant gets very exhausted and then has to go to sleep early. Mm-hmm. While they sleep, we send over a heritage agent to break in and take the money. Ooh. And anything else that they see. That's good. Preservation. Yeah, exactly. And we say we have come to preserve this precious heritage money and your precious heritage flat screen TV <laughs> and PlayStation 4. I, I really like this idea. <laughs> uh, I can see endless uses for this. I, I agree. Just more widespread use of heritage designation. Exactly. And then, and then we say to the person, I'm sorry, but your application has been denied because you no longer have the money. So what are you even doing here? Yeah. And then we say next. <laughs> I believe, yeah, because I believe that's at least... I think that will make some, uh, some developers pretty outraged. Some developers. Um, but I think, I think once they see the uses to which we put the, the funds... Uh, I think I think the uh, the opposing voices will be uh, pretty quiet. Okay. Yeah. Because one of the uses will be massive sound bafflers that reduce like almost any like conversation uh, to a whisper. Right. Okay. And we'll have the money to spend on stuff like that. <laughs> we will. We will have so much money to do all kinds of ridiculous things. Because if we spend it, it's not violating the heritage designation. No, no, it is not. In fact, it is entirely in keeping with the heritage de- designation. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should definitely write that up as a report and send it upstairs. They'll be pleased with this one, I'm sure. I, I think they will. This one they'll definitely respond to. Yes. Which they have not done since the, the, the mid-90s. But I, I've got a good feeling about this one. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's 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 get to work on that. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. We've got more uh, city council meeting. More city council. Sweet. Um, hey, Aiden. Mm-hmm. How long has it been since you got a paycheck? Oh man, it's been. Um, if I could count the days, uh, I, I'm feeling we're getting into the uh, like the mid five thousands. I would say. Yeah. If I had to guess. Me too. How long has it been since you've had a twenty six percent pay increase? Whoa. Uh, well, I recommended that for myself uh, just actually last week. Um, so I, I regularly do. I, I feel that eventually they'll get them all. I, I think it's been all my, my pay increase requests have been just held up. And once they get them all, I'm probably going to have like a 7,000% pay increase. Oh, sweet. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if so I only, expect to be very rich soon. If only you and I got to vote on our pay increases. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, because that's what council did. Sweet. Yeah. Um, actually, you know what? I'm I'm starting to feel some like I'm you know I started this bit about council voting themselves a pay increase, and I'm already starting to feel guilty about it because <laughs> they didn't actually vote themselves a pay increase at. <laughs> 
They did vote for a council pay increase. And it is for a 26% pay increase. But there are a few caveats that come with that. First of all, they struck an independent committee that included uh, Keith Comstock from the Johnson Shoyama School of Public Policy. Uh Also a representative from the Saskatchewan Federation of Labor. And uh, the CEO of the Regina Chamber of Commerce was there. Holy crow. Like you'd think, yeah, you'd, you'd think with the CEO of the chamber, you, you would you would not get a recommendation for any increase. Okay. No. That's almost like putting the Canadian Federation of Independent Business in charge of who gets a pay increase. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Yeah. Uh, so it was that commission that recommended this pay increase. And what they were arguing was that uh, they took a look at uh, various municipal jurisdictions across the country. Uh, they looked at um, cities that are sort of where the... Um, the size of the wards and the amount of workload would be comparable to Regina. And what they found is that uh, our current system for how councillors get pay increases is they're, they're pegged to a tiny percentage of what an MLA gets. Um, but what has, as a result, um, city councillors in Regina, their pay lags far behind, 26% behind the medium pay, median pay range pay rage, pay rage rate for a city councillor in a comparable municipality. Uh, they also talked about how um, even over the last few years, uh, the workload for a city councillor has changed dramatically. That uh, a city councillor in uh, Regina is supposed to be a part-time position. They're supposed to have a day job. And then councillor is supposed to be part-time on top of that. Uh, the councillors they interviewed unanimously were that city council job here currently is a full-time job in addition to their already full-time jobs. Um, so uh, they, the commission said that this creates this massive obstacle to people becoming city councillors, that uh, if you can't afford to step back from your job or if you don't have flexible enough hours to attend meetings and events, that you simply cannot take a position and that you're already seeing that in the composition of our city council, it, predominantly white men, predominantly um, uh, people with uh, retirees or mm-hmm. academics uh, in the case of Stevens and Hawkins, um, real estate agents, people with schedules that can be shuffled around to fit a councilor schedule. And the current pay rate, which I believe is about 30 something thousand, uh, is just too low to compensate somebody who needed to uh, take a step back from a job or take a leave to be a counselor. And that this is one of the reasons that you're not seeing Indigenous counselors, more women counselors with families, uh, more people of color, um, uh-huh. more groups. They just simply cannot accept that rate of pay for that level of work. Right. Um, so that was their, that was their reasoning the commission's reasoning for this recommended pay increase. Uh, if it, uh, when it got voted, it, this did go through, um, it would put a uh, counselor compensation at $57,000 a year, which is again, much better than what it was, but still not, um, you know, certainly not an upper middle class income rate. Uh, the mayor's uh, compensation was also recommended to go up by, I think it was 2% to 151,000 to put him again at the median for a comparable uh, municipality. Um, And the other thing too about this 
that uh, council was not voting for their own pay increase. This would not take effect until next year. So after the upcoming election. Right. The rationale behind that is then that um, the, the municipality in this fall election will be voting on whether or not they think they have a, they have councillors who are worthy of this higher pay rate. Uh, Councillor Stevens did try to like pass a uh, tabling motion to have this decided in the next council. Uh, he and several other councillors raised the concern that you know during COVID, when a lot of people are out of work and a lot of people are uh, you know worried about their employment, this is not the best time to be passing of. Uh, pay raise like this. Uh, but it was that motion failed because uh, most people on council argued that's kicking the can down the road and it would take away the public's ability to vote on this pay increase because it would be at the beginning of a council term instead of at the end of a council term. And uh, one of the recommendations from the commission was that every council at the end of their four year term should be doing another report on whether or not councillor pay is still adequate to the job. And again, at the end of the term, so it is something that's considered in the election. Uh, There you go. Yeah. So this passed, uh, councillor Fougere, sorry, Mayor Fougere, councillor Bryce, and councillor Fendura voted against. Uh, They all argued that while um, a council position is worthy of a pay increase, to $57,000 that the optics are bad and now is not the time with COVID raging, uh, ravaging our economy. Uh, it was interesting listening to the vote. Uh, Councillors uh, Brashani and uh, Stevens voted in favor of this, but there were these long pregnant pauses when they were like asked for their vote between the time when they were asked and when they actually like said uh, in favor very quietly. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, council was uh, well aware that this was not going to go over very well uh, in the next day's news cycle. And sure enough, uh, the the anger on social media was swift and loud. And um, I found it amusing that Councillor Stevens especially was being uh, challenged on social media and was you know, boxed into a corner where he was responding with information about all of his compensation and the rationale for why this decision was made and having to like engage with the community uh, with a lot more detail about what went on at this council meeting they hadn't actually watched. Um, Because effectively it was uh, city residents who were annoyed at councillors getting a pay raise demanding that their councillor do a bunch of unpaid social media work and <laughs> yes questions um and that was one of the things that was flagged is that a city councillor now is spending a ton of time on facebook and twitter uh answering just this deluge of questions about every single council decision that comes forward so um yeah and sure enough well, that's exactly what they had to do well i saw i saw on social media i saw some some of the reactions some of the the, the politest things that were said were, I am disappointed in city council. And, uh, and all I could think was, oh, you have no idea how little these people get paid. <laughs> uh, if, they, if, if they knew like what city councilors made uh, for what they did, uh, they, they, people would be very surprised. I, I, I find it disturbing how uh, the public expects their city councilor to be working constant, to be answering questions at all hours of the day, uh, 
answering swiftly. Mm -hmm. And yet they should be doing the job as though uh, they are, I don't know, a monk. They're yes. Among, this is a calling that was uh, that they've they've had to accept because it was given to them by God, and that they're <laughs> grateful. That the doing of a city councilor's job should be payment enough. Apparently, what they do, <coughs> oh, excuse me, is they take uh, the questions on social media, they print them out into little strips of paper, and they wrap those uh, questions around like the end of like a, like a flail. And then yep. they whip themselves with the questions uh, and and cry out the answers. Uh, and sometimes they splatter the walls with blood to divine the correct answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, no, I I mean, if that's not what they do. That's what they should be doing, quite frankly. Thump, yeah. thump, thump the table. Uh, oh, by the by, uh, you're listening to 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. Tune into the community. This is the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Uh, the, uh, I, I also found it frustrating that uh, the news media covered this story exactly the same way that um, the news media always covers this story. Anytime a politician is involved in voting themselves a pay raise, the headline is always, politicians vote selves pay raise. And, <laughs> yes. uh, that uh, frequently the, uh, the global article and the leader post article. I think once you got below the headline and past the social media post, uh, their coverage was, I think they actually like did a fairly good job of covering the nuance of the argument in favor of giving counselors a pay raise. Uh, because that was the, the issue that council discussed was not, oh, should we get a pay raise? There was mention of how much work there was involved, but... Um, Ultimately, this issue of diversity was the issue they kept coming back to, that um, if we want a more diverse city council, if we want more women, more people of color, we have to be offering adequate compensation for the amount of work we're requiring. Good point. There wasn't, that, that wasn't you know, highlighted enough in the, uh, the superficial media coverage, as in the headlines and the, uh, the social media posts. And that's too bad. But... Uh, yeah. And so naturally comments online were mostly livid and outraged because nobody reads articles anymore. No, but they, they do enjoy outrage. They do. So yeah, that happened. Um, and then I think the last thing from this council meeting that we should discuss is uh, we have a, a new, well, I guess it's not a new plaza in the city, but we have a, uh, a refreshed plaza in the city, City Square Plaza, mm -hmm. very functorally named City Square Plaza, is now the Pat Fiaco Plaza. I, I'm glad. I'm glad they've gone with something different than City Square Plaza because it wasn't even square. Let's let's be honest here. Yeah. It was very rectangular. Um, and uh, former Mayor Fiaco is also in in the like when you get down to like the basic you know, essence of things, he is also rectangular. So it, it all works out. Aren't we really all though? Yes, but it's not, I'm not saying that he's not rectangular. Good so by, so by, by those standards, I mean, we call it the um, chat fiaco plaza, sure. whoever that, whoever, whoever that might be. Yeah. Do you think they should actually like project the image of Pat Fiaco onto the plaza at night? 
You know, I hope so. Uh, when this was passed, Mayor Fougere did mention that there would be some kind of ceremony. And we have spent a lot of money on lighting at the plaza. Uh, mm-hmm. Having like Pat Fiaco's face, uh, perhaps a hologram that would come up on the little used stage uh, yep. with laws like to, right. uh, you know, entreat us to not look at the little man behind the curtain. Right. And notice that there's, there's a certain... Um, like a marine or a maritime theme to the plaza with the things that look kind of like waves and the, uh, and the stanchions sort of calling back to like, you know, uh, Fiaco's like history as an immigrant family coming over from Italy uh, at, at some point, uh, you know, I could see it. And also the, uh, the lit up um, sabers uh, perhaps referring to his enjoyment possibly of star Wars. Oh, right. Yeah. Although I, I, I'm not certain we'd have to ask him. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't think Star Wars when I think Pat Fiaco, but maybe this will encourage us to start doing that. Right. Well, I mean, I usually when I see Pat Fiaco, I think, I wonder, wonder what he would have thought of Star Wars every time. So this, this works out. Yeah, yeah. He does look a little bit like an Ewok. Only a tiny bit. Tiny bit like an Ewok. Only, only, like only in the sense that I too kind of look like an Ewok. Yeah, yeah. And I'm starting to look more like an Ewok. <laughs> Long in isolation. It is the curse of time and isolation. As we all we all sort of converge toward Ewokhood. I you know, I have some I have some thoughts about this decision. I, I think it's worth noting that there wasn't there was a there were a couple objections raised to naming the plaza after Pat Fiaco. The first was from the delegations who showed up who pointed out that uh, they've been the delegations that came out were pointing out that they have been struggling for I think three years now, they said, to get uh, Dudney Street, Dudney Pool, and Dudney Park renamed Buffalo. Um, Buffalo Street, Buffalo Park, Buffalo Pool, because Dudney has a despicable history and legacy with regards to um, treatment of Indigenous people. This is true. Um, They've been laboring for years to make this change. And uh, while they've been assured that they're being heard, they find it interesting that Pat, naming the Pat plaza after Pat Fiaco could be fast-tracked so quickly and easily, whereas their effort is uh, being slow-boated, as it were. Mm-hmm. The mayor argued that, you know, the plaza is, uh, you know, city property that makes it easier, but the same could be said of uh, uh, Dudney Park and Dudney Pool, that these are city facilities. They should be, changing their name should be effortless. Uh, Councillor Young tried to get a tabling motion put in place uh, on this to put off this decision saying that, and noting quite importantly that there is currently a moratorium on name changes in Regina. I find this very curious. The civic naming committee has said, we're we're conducting an investigation into how names are made, how names are chosen in the city and Mm -hmm. how to change names. Uh, We have a goal of, I believe it's 25% indigenous names going forward. Uh, and there is this question of how do we approach uh, indigenization, the, uh, the naming of our city. And when we have like people asking for changing Dudney to Buffalo, um, what is the process that should be conducted for that? Um, and what, are this, what, how, what do we need to be sensitive to? That report is coming forward in 2021. Uh, so this naming of the plaza, the Pat Fiaco Plaza, seems like a little bit of a contradiction of the time. Uh, so yeah, but only Councillors Young and Stevens <laughs> in favor 
of tabling this. Um, I, I'm a little bit surprised that, that the fact that we have a moratorium in place was not uh, more convincing to uh, councils. The process they themselves had put in place uh, play out uh, with regards to this. I don't understand what exactly is the rush. There seems to be some sort of uh, need for speed in naming Pat Fiat. Mm. Because as we noted at our last meeting, Councillor, uh, sorry, Mayor Fougere at the last council meeting tried to uh, rush this through at the last council meeting without giving proper notice, uh, period. Um, and right. the Civic Naming Committee is also supposed to be uh, implementing a, uh, a naming uh, process that would involve public consultation when something like Al Plaza is being renamed after a former mayor. So uh, this circumvents that possible process. Huh. But personally, I don't know that I'm bothered by this terribly. I think that uh, already, I think colloquially, the plaza is already known as Pat's Patio. <laughs> this is true. This would, this only is true. Making, this would only be making official uh, something that people are already calling the patio, or sorry, the plaza in a derisive way already. Um, and I also noticed, uh, I, I mentioned this change to my mom, actually, uh, who doesn't even live here. And I just mentioned, you know, that they were thinking about uh, changing the name of Pat Fiaco, or changing City Square Plaza to Pat Fiaco Plaza. And without any knowledge of what's been going on at, at the plaza, uh, my mom, without missing a beat, said uh, they should call it Fiasco Plaza. Hey, there we go. Yes. And I think that that is certainly something that uh that will be the new slang name i'm sure i'm sure pat fiaco is probably hardly tired of the of the fiasco nickname by now. Yeah. but you are going to get more of it and yet i would have called it don donlin's doggle myself but you know that's just that's a good one actually <laughs> oh, very good um <laughs> Having, having watched the whole process of the plaza get built and knowing all of what happened behind the scenes and getting that made, I think Fiasco might actually be the best name for the plaza. Oh, yeah. That's no matter how that, that was, that joke is. I was, uh, I was working uh, literally uh, on a building that bordered the, uh, the plaza when it was being co under construction and just watching watching the... The shenanigans unfold in real time is, is not something I'll forget anytime soon. Yeah, it uh, it famously came in over budget. Uh, it the the location was chosen in part because uh, according to the schematics that they had been given by our utilities, the utilities were deep enough that they'd be able to put in a plaza on this site. Uh, and as soon as they started digging, they discovered that in fact all of the maps that they'd been given by SaskTel and Sask Power were wrong. And in fact, the utilities were much closer to the surface. That necessitated, uh, they couldn't just dig out the plaza. They had to use this hydrovacking system so that they wouldn't accidentally uh, hit a gas pipe or a right. apparently, uh, significant internet infrastructure passes underneath that plaza. And if yeah. the cables had been broken, the internet for Western Canada could have gone down. Or a significant portion of Western Canada. Exactly. Um, they, because of the location, because of that, they couldn't locate any of the particular items on the plaza that they had planned. So the stage isn't where it was planned. The, uh, they went over budget, so they couldn't put in the two kiosks that were supposed to be built there. Right. 
And so now we've only got one kiosk um, several years mm. after completed. They took out, they didn't like the bollards that would have been used to indicate where traffic would drive in the original plans. They took them out. And then when they saw the plaza without bollards, they decided, oh, it should be a pedestrian plaza. They had to hire another consultant to examine the plaza and decide whether or not it should be pedestrian only or have traffic on it. And instead of going with one or the other, they went with this half measure, which is north, like west to northbound and south to eastbound. Right. Plaza. So it, it appears it's kind of like traffic, but it's hard to actually understand. I, I'm amazed nobody's gotten run over yet yeah. on that plaza. Frankly. Yeah. And there was supposed to be a fountain. Ugh. Dancing Waters Fountain was supposed to be in the plaza um, and it was never put in place. We've paid for the computer and the plumbing to put this in. It is sitting in storage unused. And uh, all th- this is this is our plaza that Patrick maybe will have his name maybe, on. Maybe the uh, maybe that uh, computer could uh, power the Glockenspiel. Yes, yeah, which is going up. That is that is a good thing. Here we go. Yeah, right. uh, we are we are running smack out of time on this meeting, uh, so we oh, should okay. probably yes, yeah, so we should probably move to adjourn. All right. Well, I will. Uh, Okay, I'll second that motion. Okay, meeting is adjourned. You have been listening to Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM. careful there. Uh, we've got Queen City Radio. Tune into the community. Well, what are you doing? Uh, you can find us on chair. Twitter, Queen City IB. Also, are you Queen City IB. What are you doing? Uh, that stands for Improvement Bureau. You can't stop hear me, can you? Look, you got uh, to stop rolling We are broadcast live like 7 to 8 Thursday evenings and 3 to 4 Monday afternoons. The trap door. You're going to get hurt. We broadcast them. Well, at least we now know the contraption works. Happy social distancing to one and all.